Welcome back to Comics Over Time, a podcast where we take a trip through the history of Marvel Comics with a focus on some of the important and interesting comic stories that inspired the Hollywood blockbusters of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Every two weeks we take a look at a batch of comics, then we watch the related MCU movie or TV show, and then when we're done we connect the dots from the comic book panels to the moving pictures and try and answer the most that most important of questions, who told the tale best, the books or the screen adaptation? It is Dwayne back with you again, along with my good buddy Dan. Dan, how's it going? It's going really well. I'm ready for another cool discussion on Marvel Comics. So life is life yes. is grand. Yes, it's uh, interesting. the the uh, The new Ant Man movie has snuck up on us, so we're we're gonna de- have to deviate a little bit. It's a good thing we were reading some Ant-Man comics, though, this week. And actually the right ones. Because, to be quite frank, because of the fact that uh, one of the big changes with the new movie is that Cassie sort of grows up in between films. Uh, She becomes a teenager and is going to be a little... A new actress has been hired to play her in the new one. And so that fits in pretty well, actually, with the books we're going to be reading, where she's also... Uh, a teenager like an older teenager so get a little bit of a look at what the uh the the lang family uh kind of dynamic is in the comics and get a bit of a little better look at just some of the other characters in the ant-man universe as we head on into this sounds good and but before we jump in and talk about the stack for this week we've got some comic book news that we're going to cover and the first story is uh, unfortunately a sad one chris brown the hagar the horrible cartoonist has passed away at age 70 uh this was from comics beat brought word of this following apparently a very long illness at the age of 70 uh chris took over working on the hagar the horrible comic strip after his father's retirement and death working with his brother chance and and the cartoonist working on the strip in some form from 1989 to 2023 over half the character's entire lifespan. And it actually Hagar, the horrible celebrated its 50th anniversary publishing anniversary earlier this month, or actually last week, actually February 4th. Yep. Absolutely. When I was younger, I used to read that pretty much every day. It was not the first comic I went to, but it was definitely one that I enjoyed. So, very good stuff. I I read it. I read it a little bit too, way back in the in the day, and uh, and so yeah, this this seeing seeing some of that, it would have been Chris Brown's work that I would have seen because it mm-hmm. would have been, you know, late eighties, early nineties, uh, would have been when I would have seen it. Yep. So, who's your favorite character? In Hagar? I don't know. It's been ages since, since I've actually... I'm a, I'm a just... snurt man myself. Hagar's dog, okay. Snurt, was my favorite. So Okay. It was always better when he was in it. And then whoever that hapless sort of skinny Viking that followed him around was, I also was a fan of him. Oh, uh, yeah. I remember I remember him. Yes. I... I mm-hmm. It, it's been ages since I actually looked at a Hagar the Horrible comic, so I I don't have any of the names, but but I do like remember how they looked and stuff. So mm-hmm. so that's something. 
All right. The other story is actually a Marvel story. Marvel to explore the Hulk's origin story through a found footage documentary. So this, I I love the like found footage documentary movie things, the Blair Witch Project, fantastic movie. And they're actually going to be doing something like that to kind of delve into the origin story of the Hulk. So uh, this May, we're going to see Hulk annual number one from writer David Papose and uh, artist Kayo Mahato. Uh, this oversized issue introduces the Viridian Project, a terrifying tale stitched together from found footage. The story takes place in the same town that gave birth to the Hulk and features a ragtag group of young film filmmakers who set out to uncover the truth behind the green Goliath's origin. And what we find out is they end up seeing the, uh, the giants deadly rage firsthand. So, uh, yes. So if this sounds like something, something that you might be interested in, it's going to go on sale on May 17th. The cover is going to it, the cover is available in this article on uh, comicbook.com, so definitely check that out. It looks looks really cool. Yep, that sounds good. All right, so what uh, what do you got for us next, Dwayne? Where are we off to? The stack for this week. What what books did we read? The assignment essentially was to learn a little bit about Scott Lang. So we started out yeah. with Marvel premiere number forty seven and forty eight which are pretty much his first appearance. That's where Scott gets the Ant-Man costume and sort of, uh, it tracks along actually, as I think we can talk about in a lot of ways with what happened in the first Ant-Man movie. So these are, this is this his, or, his origin story and it's similar to what you'd see if you were an MCU fan. And then the second set of books from 2015 is a run of 13 comics. Now, I gave you the option of reading as many or few as you mm-hmm. wanted. How far did you go? I I got through it all. I got all through right. it all. I actually read the the last issue last night, uh, and uh, it, it it started out a little slow, but it was it, it it picked up towards the end, and so there's yep. there's there's definitely some interesting things to talk about for that. Yep, absolutely. So that one was. One that I wanted to talk about primarily because of Cassie and because it is that more contemporary look at Ant-Man. But it also shows how sort of like She-Hulk and some of these other characters that have had kind of a comedic turn on screen. There definitely is humor as a core part of Ant-Man's character over the last while. Because these books were not a deadly serious type of comic book. So I, I wanted to get that well, out there too. The 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 vi- the villains that we see throughout these were definitely felt like She-Hulk villains, mm-hmm. and that there was a bit of ridiculousness and over the topness uh, with regards to yep. those stories. But I don't he, I don't want to jump ahead. Let's be before we before we jump in and start talking about specific books. We have a creator profile this week. Sure, and this is the second guy uh, that we're going to be reading about who I do want to spend a little time on is actually Nick Spencer and this week we're going to be taking a look at a number of books that whole 13 issue run by Nick Spencer he's actually a relatively new face in the comic scene in that he only started writing 
mid 2000s and really didn't break into like mainstream comics until 2009 2010 somewhere around there even so he has quickly left a mark um some would perhaps say a bruise on the comic industry because of some of the stuff <laughs> oh, really? that he's been involved with. Um, he was the one who actually wrote the Secret Empire miniseries from that 2016 where it actually involved a reveal saying that Captain America and the Captain America that we'd been reading comics about for the last however many years was not actually Captain America. It was a Hydra sleeper agent who'd taken his place and been pretending to be Captain America for all these years and then revealed himself. And people went batshit when this happened. (laughs) I can't imagine why. They eventually kind of explained it away and everything like that and the like, but it, it was, it was a mess. So Spencer's done a lot of stuff and he's a very competent writer. He tells good stories But he's also a former politician who has sort of vacillated back and forth between being like a a Democratic candidate and a hardline conservative. And if you look at a lot of his politics, it is really not mainstream in a lot of ways. His books and his stories actually also tend to have a political edge to them. And they're very cynical in a lot of ways. They're very sort of gray in their morality um, or even amoral in a lot of ways and he also tends towards sort of some fascist tropes Uh, a lot of his stories are not actually my cup of tea so I was a little worried about this Um, I knew that when I first read these stories I actually liked them well enough I was but at that point I didn't know much about the guy I wasn't sure going back if it would bother me more these are still some pretty entertaining stories, but there are some things I'd like to talk about when we get into them where I think you can sort of see the Nick Spencer mark on these books and why sometimes he makes me uncomfortable. Okay. So, there you go. That is that is your creator profile. And uh, <laughs> let's let's dive in and let's 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 first talk about Marvel Premiere 47 and 48, the kind of the first appearance of Scott Lang. Because I feel like we're going to have a lot to talk about with the Astonishing Ant-Man. It's it's 13 books. There's a lot that happens. But this was a nice little kind of, uh, I want to say appetizer almost for that. Because because it, it the despite the fact them being from way back in the late 70s, these actually were pretty quick reads. Um, surprisingly so. It feels like a lot of those, a lot of the books from that time period feel like they're a little dense when it comes to like the number of words to the page. There's a lot of panels, a lot of things going on. And uh, the, these, these didn't seem like that. They, these seem like they were very quick and, and um, they did a really good job of sort of kind of introducing you to Scott Lang, actually. One thing that you might notice early on is that again, written by Michelini, penciled by John Byrne, inked by Bob Layton, this is essentially the same crew in, in Michelini and Layton who did those Iron Man books we read yeah. like in our very first episode way back in the day. So you take two guys who already were doing good stuff back then and you add John Byrne who is probably 
one of the most lauded artists of the 70s and 80s in terms of Marvel and DC. He is one of my top 10 favorite artists all time. Uh, he is well noted as being a horrible crank in terms of his actual personality. Like he basically just <laughs> makes fun of people on the internet for no particular reason and the like. He's, he's very prickly. Okay. But spectacular artist. Really good storyteller as well. He actually wrote Fantastic Four for a long time. He was the artist on Days of Future Past for the X-Men back when it was first done in the early mm. 80s. He was the artist that basically sort of worked with Chris Claremont to make the X-Men sort of the biggest brand in comics. And then since then, he was hired by DC to reboot Superman. This guy's a superstar in the industry. And sure. for my money, some of these late 70s books, when he was doing Iron Fist, he was doing X-Men, he was doing, you know, some books. He'd come on to a series like this for a little while and do a few stories every once in a while. was really some of my favorite John Byrne work. So, yeah, this is a great artist kind of at the top of his game in a lot of ways. So, and Leighton's inks are always clean and really excellent. So, good stuff. Why don't you give people a quick recap as to what happens in these two two issues? Sure. So essentially, and I'm going to try and make these recaps a little faster from now on because I tend to go on forever. We'll just talk more about the story instead. <laughs> what we begin with is seeing that through flashbacks, we're actually getting a look at how a small-time crook named Scott Lang, who's trying to rehabilitate himself, go straight, be a family man, Needs money for his daughter's medical bills. She's got a heart problem that needs to get taken. And so he actually burglarizes the home of one Hank Pym. Pym evidently has just left his old Ant-Man costume laying around where anyone can find it. And so Lang steals that <laughs> and then uses it to go in and sort of infiltrate his daughter's surgeon's facilities. She finds out that or he finds out she's being threatened by an evil sort of guy named uh, Darren Cross, who's actually a patient of hers who also needed a heart surgery. And then he, he ends up fighting with this guy, saving the day, etc. And then because of that, he actually is allowed to keep that armor. So after he gets done with everything, uh, Hank Pym's like, you know, saw what you were doing and, hey, what the heck? You seem like a fine ant man. Why don't you just keep it? You know, because he's got the yellow jacket armor at that point, so he doesn't really need the Ant-Man costume anymore, anyhow. So, that's that's how he gets it. He uh, <laughs> he needs he needs money for his daughter's surgery. He steals the Ant-Man costume and ends up being allowed to keep it. Yeah, he, yeah, he like is trying to infiltrate to get to this surgeon who who's like apparently the only surgeon that can help. Yep. Uh, help his daughter and she's like basically being uh held captive she was like like grabbed at her office by some goons mm -hmm. of darren crosses and brought to cross uh technologies and is like in this room and is supposed to be operating on on darren cross who needs heart surgery as well because he's he 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 was not 
hundred percent sure how this was working exactly, but he had he was doing something that was he he was having heart transplants and was like having like he was like grabbing homeless people off the street and like taking their heart because every time he do a heart surgery it would only last for like a a few hours or maybe a day or two and then he'd need another one and the surgeon was supposed to be able to to like fix this yep. yeah it's it was it was pretty crazy actually <laughs> Yeah, and, and so what's what's interesting is Cross then is going to kind of end up being a relatively regular villain. We're going to see him again, right? But yes. he, he's, yeah. yeah, he's he's in for heart surgery, and then he just gets up and they start fighting. And one of the reasons this is quick is that the better, at least half of the second book is just the two of them punching each other. Like, number yeah. 48 reads really quick because yeah. it's just them having a big fight. But... Overall, I think that it's it's one of those that again shows how Marvel, especially back in the day, if they wanted to get a new character, they're just like, find an origin, let's get him into the suit, and let's yep. get him going. It's not quite the Falcon, but it's yes. not far off, right? No, no, I and that was like the, that was the first thing I thought of, just like Scott Lang steals the suit, and they just are like, okay, sure, fine, you can have it. It's 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 okay because you, when you got it, you were doing it because you wanted to save your daughter, mm -hmm. and you helped save a surgeon who was basically going to have to to operate on this bad guy. That now he he basically, by the way, has a heart attack. That that's how the fight ends. Is is he he put so much stress on the heart that he was had in him mm -hmm. at the time before the surgery got taken place that he basically just has a heart attack and passes yep. out. And then that's that's how the fight ends. Yeah, that uh, that is kind of weird, but that is that is exactly how it goes. Is that he just finally <laughs> finally collapses? It's not like he really gets defeated. So, which makes some sense because right. you know you think about it's cross industries, and so you'd think of him as being like this executive or whatever. He looks pretty much like a pink Hulk, like this this massive yeah. sort of like Hulk sized guy. He's got this really prominent almost like uh neanderthal type of brow and everything like that and yet he's he's supposedly you know the the guy who got all the money and runs the company everything like that so he's an interesting dude he definitely he definitely does have a look to him but yeah i i really enjoyed these they were classic comics like it's fun and it's fast and some of it doesn't really hold up all that well to overthinking it. <laughs> but it also isn't really campy or anything like that either. You know, he's he's a, he's got a serious problem and he goes in and whatever. So in terms of kind of like in, in terms of it being serious, these are more serious books, I would say, than the ones we read from 2015. You know? They yeah, take themselves yeah, seriously. There, there's there's definitely a serious tune, serious tone, more serious tone. Yep. And and again, yeah, the the art is spectacular. Everything about this is kind of these are the sort of comics I love. And and it's also interesting that you know really there's not a lot in here where you really get much of an explanation of exactly 
what Cross is up to or anything like that. It basically just, there's a pretext for a fight. He does say at the end of the first book, something along the the thing of, you know, I own this facility and now I own Dr. Sondheim. So essentially where he's like, yeah. you know, really abducting people and never planning to let them go. Evidently so she can just continually do heart surgery on him because he keeps messing up his heart. So it's a little strange. But, so yeah. So what do you think of these books then? I mean, I, I thought it was, I thought it was interesting. It was fun. It was, and like I said, it was a kind of a nice quick read. And it was, like I said, the only thing that just kind of threw me was the, just the fact that he gets to keep the armor at the end. And it just didn't make, it, it didn't make any sense to me like at all. And, and I guess the other question I had, which I like, cause I hadn't read the astonishing Ant-Man yet is how much of a, a deal is Darren Cross? How often or is he a recurring villain? Is he, is he kind of like the arch nemesis of Scott Lang? Cause he, he definitely seems like he's, uh, you know, a bad guy and, and he seems to, he doesn't seem to like really know who he is at this point. And, and it's just, I'm trying to stop him because he's trying to, 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 to save this, this, this doctor who, who I need for, for these heart mm -hmm. surgeries. But, uh, but we find out, or at least it seems like in Astonishing Ant-Man, the second series that we read, that they, they have a rather lengthy history with one another. I know he was in at least a few Iron Man books, but I think he was largely a Michelini villain who he'd just like, I need a villain, let's use this guy this month, right? Or whatever. <laughs> okay. Nobody else really okay. did much with him up until they started bringing him back into this and doing some stuff. So, sure. yeah. And, and in, you know, and, and then even in that one, for the most part, it's going to be his family that we see, like Cross Technologies, for most of that series that we're looking at. And he just comes kind of, spoiler alert, kind of comes in at the end. So, but yeah. I I uh, always enjoy these. They're just very professional, very classic comics. I think that's the best way to put it. That some of these late 70s, early 80s books by the top level talent are just some of the best examples of American comic books. Yeah, I, 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 it definitely feels like there's a different feel to these books than, say, some of the stuff that's even earlier than that in like the, mm -hmm. in like the fifties and sixties that we've seen, and like, you know, the Demon in a Bottle series and and this series as well. I, I, I've enjoyed some of the ones from like the late seventies, early eighties there. It does sort of feel like that, that they've started to make that shift. And, and so there's, you know, more focus on the art. There's a little less wording going on and, 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 and it, the, the stories seem to make more sense to me. And there seems to be a, a little less camp to them, I guess. I'd say a lot less camp. A lot of the guys yeah. now, like Byrne and, and these folks, came in in the 70s as people who grew up as comic fans. And in the 70s, especially the early 70s, if you were starting in comics, that means you would have been a teenager right about the time where Batman 66 would have been on television. 
And if there's one thing pretty much every one of these guys seems to have in common, it's that they absolutely loathe the Batman 66. <laughs> because sure. they were serious comic fans, right? They were they were buying the new Marvel stuff. They were looking at this as an art form. And, you know, Batman was making fun of all of that. And so you look at a lot of these guys from the 70s, Simonson, Leighton, Byrne, any of these guys, they're coming in and they are essentially the first generation of comic artists and writers who grew up as fans of, say, the Marvel Universe, who grew up with this idea of continuity and that superhero stories could be more than just something for kids. And so one of the things you're seeing is these books are directed at an older audience. Maybe not in an adult audience, but definitely more of a teen and college audience instead of a preteen and early teen audience, which is what sure. even the books of the 60s and, and early 70s, a lot of them would have been. And then as we lead into the 80s, it'll even accelerate farther. But this was kind of interesting because in the 80s, things kind of with the direct market just fragmented and you lost a lot of, you lost a lot of things. The late 70s was kind of the, the point where you still had a lot of these books that were aiming for mass market appeal, but where the writers and artists were very much still trying to do something that was respectful of and building on the art that they loved, you know? Yeah. And so it's, it's really an interesting time in comics. And I would say everything from 75, 76 through about the 85, 85, 86 period, especially. And these were some of the years I was active, especially the later ones. Some really, really good stuff out there. So let's let's jump ahead and let's talk about the 2015 the astonishing ant-man series because this definitely felt contemporary from start to finish yeah so this one's interesting um nick spencer wrote it you've got a bunch of different artists who come in mark brooks ramon rosanos uh, brent chuvener um tedesco did some stuff Similarly, we had a bunch of different inkers. Sometimes those guys were inking themselves. Sometimes David Nakamaya. Uh, colorists, there were a number of them. So one interesting thing is this was done by a bunch of different people. And that sometimes isn't great. One of the things that helps is it was told through flashback. And so sometimes the flashback scenes were done by a different artist than the contemporary scenes. And that seems to work a little better than just having them alternate pages or whatever within a story. So this is another flashback story. And what we actually see is Scott Lang in prison uh, again as the series begins. So he'd been out doing his thing and now suddenly he's back in prison. And then he starts telling us the story of how he got back in there, which involves all sorts of things. Accidents, betrayals, angry exes all over the place. Uh, he's actually got a security company down in Miami at this point. He's trying to get clients. He's got a bear and an evil cyborg as his employees. And yes. he's very bad decisions as, in his hiring. Um, but he gets hired to do like, this. Oh, go ahead. No, I, I, I was just, for, for those, for when, when he says a bear and a cyborg, 
he 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 means like a guy in a bear suit. Yes, that goes by the name Grizz. Yeah, G R I S, like as in grizzly bear, just short for Grizz. And it's and it's, oh, we we got to talk about those two, please. Yeah, continue. But I just I had to, I had to be like, wait a minute, this yeah. is this is that ridiculous, and he is ridiculous. It needs to be, yes, he is absolutely ridiculous. So they get a job, and the job is actually sort of doing security at a gig of one of his ex-girlfriends, who's almost like a, a pop star type of thing. And she is also a superhero, kind of, uh, because she's got the ability to have a thing suit, so she can turn herself into the thing if she wants. Um, as they're going along, they find out that this the security event he's supposed to uh, do protection at is, is attacked, and they find out eventually that it's due to the fact there's now this app called Hench, where anybody who needs a hench person, like a super-powered hench person, can just use the app to hire who they want, to go and attack someone or kill them. You know, why Why is it only, you know, supervillain like leaders like Dr. Doom can hire someone to have their opponents killed? Everyone should be able to do that, right? So that app, which is created by someone called the Power Broker, is one of the things they need to deal with. And then there's another app created actually by Cross Technologies, the company that was the one we looked at in the previous books with Darren Cross, actually creates a competing app called Lackey, which allows you to actually become a supervillain and then hire yourself out and the like. So his daughter, Cassie, used to be an Avenger. She was called Stature. She had essentially growing and shrinking powers and the like. So she could become super tall. She's lost those powers by the pim particles being drained out of her after an injury or something like this. She goes in and actually gets superpowers to become a supervillain again and then uses them to try and invade the opposing app's campus in the process of trying to save her and in the process of trying to keep his friends and girlfriends both from getting killed or being sent to prison. He ends up taking the rap for this whole thing and for his daughter's attempted excursion into somebody else's network. And is when we see him in prison, he's actually awaiting trial. And then trial comes. Mm -hmm. She-Hulk's there. Of course, anytime She-Hulk's in a, in a courtroom, the courtroom is going to be destroyed by supervillains. So a big fight breaks out. Yeah. And somehow he gets out of it all and, and is done and ends the book hanging out with his daughter. And everything is better. So, yeah, yeah, it is ridiculous. <laughs> it, it, it felt like a, it actually felt a little like a She-Hulk comic that we, you know, absolutely just kind of the, you, 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 yeah, you have this first app called Hench that this power broker is going around, uh, trying to get funding for because it's, it, it's, it's going through money, like hand over fist. And he then has to deal with this competing app that Darren Cross and actually it's it's Darren Cross's son yep. hires uh, the cyborg and the and the bear that are that are uh, Scott Lang's like employees 
to to actually kind of infiltrate the hench app reverse engineer it so they can make their own version of it called lackey and and it and it is it is absolutely the most ridiculous thing that i think i've ever read and it just it felt very like it it felt really modern but also very meta sort of thing at the same time mm-hmm. it's it just sort of just sort of weird and and one of the things that i think i I remember liking about it and which I still like about it is that as a way of sort of reintroducing Scott Lang, because they knew that there was a movie coming out, you know, with him that was because Ant-Man was coming out. This actually in a lot of ways has a lot of parallels to the first two comics that we read told through flashbacks. It's got cross his daughter's in trouble a lot of the things that that sort of made Ant-Man originally turn to, you know, going and, and getting the, the the suit and doing things are the things which now kind of put him back in danger again. And I like that. And it's one of the things that I do like about Nick Spencer's writing is he very much is somebody who likes to go back and play with the previous tropes. In that manner, yeah. he's he's sort of like a dark Jed McKay, right? Because McKay does the same thing, only for good. Um, and uh-huh. they both they both kind of dig through and find these underused characters, or they they kind of replay old tropes but put a new spin on them. And I f- I feel like this series really does do that. It kind of retells some of this because again, he's you know the yeah. the big end part of it is. He's sneaking into Crosstech to save his daughter. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. And I, I think one thing that I appreciated, I guess, about this, and, and I think especially so given the movie coming out this next week, is we get actually quite a bit of backstory about Casey Lang in this. And she has been, she's had a rather eventful past slash yes. present in, the, in these books. You know, you mentioned that she's a former Young Avenger. She had the the Pym particles. She was uh, the hero stature could could you know shrink and 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 get bigger. And we find out during this that basically Darren Cross wanted the the uh, Pym particles that were in her and actually abducted her and removed oh. her heart to try and get the pim particles and casey lang dies and like miraculously is resurrected somehow and we don't really know how or why this happened but then she's so she's like back and she's now like a regular kid she lost all her powers because the the pim particles were gone her heart was gone she got like another heart back somehow but then she's like I want to be that person. I she like she ends up seeing Kate Bishop during during this, who was one of the young Avengers mm-hmm. that she she worked with a lot, and um, you know she talks about wanting to be that person again, the stature person that that she was, the hero that she was, and and like she even follows Kate Bishop because she says she's like gotta go, and you know she's like oh I think something's up. I want to go find out what's going on. Yep. And, and she's 
She's mad at her dad because she thinks her dad's not around, but her dad's been spying on her as like the Ant-Man and, and seeing everything that's going on. And so she's like, I want to be a superhero again. And so when, you know, they, they're, she gets the opportunity to apply to become a, a, a super villain. Uh, you know, she, they, she's like, the power broker says, Hey, I, I recognize the name. I know who you are. You're probably not going to be a bad, like a villain, but I'm going to give you these powers anyway, but I need you to do something. And that's why she goes and, and invades, uh, cross technologies is, he wants to shut down them, so then he's the only game in town, and he's using Casey Lang to do it. So she becomes another superhero. She becomes Stinger with this like purple outfit that actually looks very much like the Ant Man suit, and she has the ability to talk to like hundreds of different insects and things like this, and she can she can change size and everything like that. And it, it was just. There, there was a lot to this character, and I, I was not actually expecting there to be so much about this, uh, so much, or so such an involved kind of history with with Casey Lang. Yep, yeah, she's been going on Cassie for a Lang. long time. Cat, yep, Cassie or Cassandra. My, my whole idea of going quicker on the recap, I suppose the whole stole her heart thing probably should have been in there though. i'm gonna make a note <laughs> you think so maybe i you shouldn't go so, so. Qu quite so because that is a that is a big reason why you know she wants to go in and, and get vengeance essentially or, or take a little bit back from him because she finds out he's you know really done something pretty awful to her and right. even even so I, I do think that one of the things that does bother me about this and it bothers me about a lot of the stories that that work this way is Cassie becomes a character then that sort of just goes from hero to villain almost at a whim. Like, mm, you know, she answers yeah. when she answers the app, at first she's not particularly saying, I'm not going to be or I'm gonna be a hero. Halfway through, you know, she's already agreed to do it and she's like, maybe I can get away with actually not having to be a villain, you know. But Originally, she just takes off to see what she can do. And a lot of the characters here are very gray in their morality. You know, you have you have Lang hiring a... I guess he's more of a robot than a cyborg. But you have him hiring a henchman who used to work for Nazis, right? Yeah. You have, you have him hiring another guy who also, you know, Grizzly used to be a, a supervillain. They both are ex-cons as well. And not only that, but they still continue to steal things and commit crimes while on his payroll. Yeah. Yeah. So, and don't get fired for it. Right? No. So, there are a lot of things about this that does bother me. It is a, it is very much a book that does not, that doesn't really have heroes. And maybe that is kind of what Ant-Man is about in some ways, is he's... A guy who, you know, he he does kind of Guardians of the Galaxy, a little bit of good, a little bit of bad sort of thing, right? But but I do think that some of this goes a little bit far in terms of, especially with Cassie, how quickly she sort of just, you know, turned turned around and decided to go and use the the, the Lackey app was a little weird to me. 
Well, they were, they were, I think they were trying to suggest that he was just so upset about kind of being lied to. She thought her dad wasn't around and mm-hmm. he's actually been around a lot. And like, I, the Peggy, the mom, Peggy Lang seemed, seemed to know that this was going on and didn't say anything. And so she felt mm-hmm. like she was lied to. And so she was just like, Mm-hmm. angry angry teen angry at the world i'm gonna do something that may or may not be all that smart and like i think deep down she's a good person and and like she's she even said like the power broker understands he's like you're not a, you're not somebody that's just gonna start you know committing crimes and doing evil yep. and all this sort of thing and i'm not really expecting you to do that however I can't just give this to you for free. I do need something in return. So if you do the one bad thing, then you have these powers and then you can do whatever you want with them. I don't care. There you go. So now you mentioned the mom. You you have a bit of an odyssey ahead of you in the next week, correct? Where yeah. how many how many of the of the Ant-Man movies have you watched so far? So before reading any of these comics, I had not seen any of the Ant-Man movies. And I feel like I should try and watch the first two before going and seeing the third one, Quantumania, this coming weekend. We watched we watched the first Ant-Man movie uh, over the weekend, and I'm going to watch the other one probably Thursday or Friday night, I imagine. Um and so it's it's yeah I'm get I'm getting my fill of Scott Lang in a rather condensed short amount of time. Okay, but so you have like seen in the movie how his wife is you know, they're divorced. The wife has custody yeah. and she's dating the the police detective and the like or married yes. to him maybe, and and how all of those dynamics are sort of mirrored in the comic because we still have they, they, detective they verdict. Are. We still have the mom kind of being like, you are too irresponsible to be in my daughter's life, so just leave her alone. And a lot of the things that, that are here, you know, they didn't have to change anything. They just kind of dropped that into the, uh, dropped it directly into the movie. So, mm-hmm. and, and in that case, you also saw that, you know, Cross himself becomes Yellow Jacket. Now, he doesn't look yes. the same. He's not massive and and like you know, like chartreusey pink or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, he's not the pink. It's not a regular. It's like pig pink. It's like it's like pig pink is is what uh, is what he looks in the comic books. So, but so the they do that as well. They bring in bring in Cross. He's going to be the guy who actually ends up being the big bad in that one. So a lot of this really does go directly into the movies. But yeah, so the second one get a chance to see a little bit more stuff uh that one i enjoyed the first one was better i think but i liked the second one now we're gonna see probably should have read read up on some kang but we're gonna get our fill of kang over the next year i think so i'm yeah yeah i feel feel like we're gonna yeah we're gonna get a lot of kang i think so 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 i wanted to ask you what is the what is the deal with machine smith and grizz are are these characters that you had seen before this series or like 
Yeah, like Grizzly, I mean, he's he's been around for quite a long time in all sorts of different... So his actual name, I think, is Markham or something like that. And he's okay. he's actually been around in Marvel Comics forever. In fact, I even think he's in the, the Obama issue, the Spider-Man Obama issue. I'm not sure about that, but I think he might be. Um, no, no. It's the Stephen Colbert issue he's in. So, yes. Which makes perfect sense, obviously. You'd have a guy in a bear suit in the one where Colbert is running for president or whatever. So, anyway. Um, so, yeah, that exists in the Marvel Universe. You've got that to look forward to. The The other guy, um, what was his name? Machine Smith. He goes, he, his name's Machine Smith. He, go, he goes by Smith most of the time throughout this. And, yeah, he's... He is like this yeah. expert hacker terrorist guy who who is uh yeah definitely seems to have a a checkered uh very very spotty history so yeah this guy is someone i haven't read that much for but essentially machine smith used to be a human a guy named sam saxon that he as a kid discovered a doom bot became an expert in like cybernetics and robots and things like this and then eventually ends up being killed during one of his plots and having his own robots put his intelligence into a robot so okay he's he's uh he's kind of uh kind of an interesting character that way he's been around for a while with like captain america daredevil that sort of stuff i don't remember seeing him that much in the stuff that i used to read though uh, so I'd, I'd be interested to learn more about whether he actually has the, that sort of happy supervillain kind of thing. I mean, he, he seems in these comics to just be somebody who's like, man, I like being evil and making money, but you know, whatever. <laughs> I can also just hang yeah. out. So they, they, they talked about him being really smart, but he doesn't like, like that seems to be like, his thing is he's really smart. He can hack computers and, and do that sort of thing, but he doesn't like have any other real superpowers or anything. So he's not like the first to go charging. And he's like the guy that sits in the van and, and watches surveillance and tells people how to get through unscathed. Sort no. of thing. Yes. So just as a note, by the way, in terms of quote unquote reformed, these guys are going to be, Spencer liked them, so they are actually going to be joining up with uh, whatever whatever evil group it is that helps the helps uh, Hydra during that whole secret empire thing that Spencer is going to get in trouble for like a year from now, right? Yeah. So they are one hundred percent not reformed. They are just <laughs> taking a break in Miami. So sure. These are bad guys. They are bad guys. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh well. Anyway. So, yeah, I I think that the the way they handle a lot of this stuff, though, and especially things like Scott Lang's love life keeps coming up, his relationships. We just see over and over again that he's a screw up. He's a guy that forgets to do things. He's a guy that doesn't call people back. He's a guy that constantly thinks that him just 
running away and hiding is the best way to protect other people or to break up with other people or to not have to apologize to other people or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So he's he just constantly gets himself in trouble with all these people. And you can see over time how he's just burning bridge after bridge after bridge. So, yeah. Which is kind of interesting. I mean, he he is a good guy at heart, but he just keeps making bad decisions. And yeah, no, he he's he's the lovable loser almost is kind of the the thing, or at least to his like to his daughter at least. Like yeah. it it he, like he can't d- despite everything that happens. You know, he he still ends up having this really good relationship with 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 his daughter cassie and and like at the end of the at the end of the series spoiler alert he he's not in prison anymore and he he ends up you know him and his daughter are going out and they're like fighting crime or something now because you know Mm -hmm. on the on the witness stand during the trial basically the the prosecutor asks uh cassie's mom you know is is he you know a threat is he is he a problem and and like she's like she has that epiphany moment of no he's just a he's a good guy that just makes bad decisions sometimes and that he does really love his daughter and that everything is 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 okay i need to stop being so uh you know smothering or something like this and it 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 felt very uh formulaic or something that i've seen on a tv show or movie something sometime before but but i don't think we want to let him get by with it completely because he's not only a heel but he also is doing things like you know sleeping with his with his supervillain enemies like the beetle comes around and evidently he's having an affair with one of his supervillain you know opponents and things like this yeah. and he just makes really bad choices and, and yes, it's not does. it's not all just an accident that he's gotten himself no. into the situations he is so but I, but i do think these books took a lighter look at the character they they did a good job of kind of driving some of the personality of scott lang forward really kind of making him a unique character within the universe and and sort of setting him up for for some future success so having read these and now having watched the first movie do you see these two characters as compatible like if somebody liked the first ant-man movie would they like these comic books i i think you could definitely see like these the paul rudd character from the movie in these comics and vice versa. I I, mm-hmm. I I don't feel like I don't feel like what I've seen at least in the first movie and 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 the appearances of Scott Lang in some of the other non Ant Man movies. I don't know if he's portrayed as quite the I'm making the bad decision all the time like he is in these particular comics. No, but like he's not he's not like making like the best decisions or something like there there's definitely some you know 
questionable things that are that the that that might be going on or taking unnecessary risks or that sort of thing yes. uh and 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 so then you then you start to worry about what that could lead to one thing i will note by the way is you know when 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 looking at this how much better would the ant-man movie have been if michael peña had been in a giant bear suit the entire time <laughs> as great yes. as that character was yes. it would have been even better if they just made him grizz because he kind of fits that role he's the he sort does. of goofball lovable criminal henchman that that mm-hmm. kind of fits into the 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 place where machine smith and grizzly are in the uh in the comics and is spectacular at it I and mean, he is he is my favorite part of that movie just as a note absolutely i, I stole the i show. totally could see that Totally could see that. Anyway, so I, so I did. I did want to ask. So there's actually like we saw it with She-Hulk as well. There was a bunch of cameos yes. of various characters throughout this series as well. We had we we haven't even touched on the fact that Sam Wilson shows up and asks early on in this run for for Ant Man's help. He's he's in Miami. And needs and needs a local to kind of help him, uh, you know, with with something he's down there for. You know, you have the She Hulk who comes in. Jennifer Walters comes in to try and help him yep. when he when he's in prison to try and get him out. Mentioned Kate Bishop comes in. You have uh, Darla Deering, who is Miss Thing, who is the ex that that he ends up being hired by. Uh, you know, you mentioned Janice Lincoln, who is Beetle, who who apparently they had a fling and then he she shows up and immediately they have another fling and and all that sort yes. of thing. So there is there is and and then like you had like some of the some of the like hench men that end up getting hired and you see throughout this like you see Whirlwind who just a couple of weeks ago we saw Whirlwind back when Ultron was in this in the 70s in, in yep. the crimson cowl and is trying to take down the avengers whirlwind was one of the one of the villains that he was using to help him as a as a henchman and then like yeah you between those and and like there was some interesting like minor villains that got yep. hired on to by these apps and stuff that we see in as well and then like just just like in like a TV show or movie or something, it's like you see these these people. They're they're not really that great at being villains, and then they get Scott Lang needs help to try and save his daughter. So who does he turn to? He turns to the voice, and he turns to the magician, and he turns to these these people he's foiled all the way up until this point because yep. he needs help to to to, to bail out. Hires them on hench, and then away they go to try and save the day. Yep. So, yeah, a lot of these characters too. I mean, some of them are like former villains of his, or or whatever. A lot of the the heroes are people who have been in teams with him, like on Future Foundation or the Avengers or whatever over time. And I think that kind of goes back almost like to our Moon Knight comics, you know, where Tigra comes in, and it's a character who he's had. A previous affiliation with or whatever and they try to kind of bring in these characters that they're links back to and i always like it when that yeah. happens if you're gonna have yeah. guest stars 
have them be sort of like characters who it makes sense would come back into someone's life after a, after a while away. So, yeah, no, I like that. So Dan, I have one more question about this series because it is a, a running thing throughout this entire series. Scott Lang talks about the fact that he beat up Dr. Doom. One yes. Time. That is his claim to fame. What what is the deal with the one time he beat up Doctor Doom? Yeah, like the year before, in a Fantastic Four issue, when him and a bunch of these characters, actually Miss Thing and and uh, She Hulk, were in the Fantastic Four for a while in a bunch of books by Mike Alred and Matt Fraction, there actually was a big battle with uh, with Doctor Doom. And Doom was trying everything sort of to uh, to get away because his forces have been defeated. He tries to bribe Scott Lang with, uh, with offering to bring his daughter, who he'd recently lost, Cassie died at that point, back from the dead. And Lang doesn't trust him, but he gets so angry about that that he just starts beating on him. And eventually he beats him down, has him on the ground and is beating on him, and then even a big fireball comes down and destroys Doom's castle. And he walks away and complete victory. So he's uh, he is pretty proud of himself. Well, there you go. Yeah. That, I, I guess I would be pretty proud of that. Yeah. Too, if I was him. Oh, I haven't read those issues for a while, but it's something like that anyways. So, yeah. Okay. All right, sir. So I think that's mostly the main things. We talked a little bit about about all the, the cameos. It was cool seeing, seeing Kate Bishop, seeing some of these other characters wander in and the like. It's actually a bunch of the, the Disney Plus uh, sort of characters wandered in during this. But let's go ahead and, and take a just kind of a little thought about these as a whole. What did you think of the, the two sets of comics? Which one did you like better? Two issues from the 70s or this run that's later? I mean, it's, it's really difficult because, like, I I enjoyed those first two books. They, 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 they did, like I said, they, they, they did a lot to, like, bring the character to life for me as far as from a comic standpoint. There was a lot more to kind of dig in and digest when it came to this longer astonishing mm -hmm. Ant-Man series. So, but I don't know. It the the astonishing Ant-Man series started out a little on the slow side. And like I think they were kind of world building a little bit and trying to reintroduce mm -hmm. things. And it and it took a moment to kind of set up the fact that there was this hench app and you had you saw this power broker you didn't know what he was doing and, yep. and you you know darren cross was in there and what is he doing and and so it took a while to get going but the latter half of that that uh that that series i think was was really interesting insofar as like you really got to see uh Cassie Lang really start to see what's going on with her and you could really see kind of that relationship there and, yep. and like it really started to get interesting all all the all the pieces that they had put in place it, it started to make sense why they were there and so I 
by the end, I think I think it was a very satisfying conclusion. Yep. Um, so I think I liked some of the newer stuff better. Like the art was great. I think in both of them. Um, but but it was just I I I'm a sucker for I guess seeing other characters from other places Mm -hmm. as like cameos in here and so that was that was kind of fun and so i think maybe that is where i get the slight nod there yeah i would i would say that while i really love the art in the first two books the story is really pretty weak i mean it it doesn't make a ton of sense and it's it but it moves fast and it's entertaining you just right. don't think about it much. You know, things yeah. go and there's punching and then, hey, look, there's a new superhero. So yeah. on reread, I actually did, I did like this series, the second one, quite a bit. There are still some things that bother me. I, if I, I think the nice thing, though, is that it's easier to deal with the fact that you have characters going back and forth between being a bad guy and a good guy and whatever in a series that just seems so patently absurd anyway, that you're not really dealing with real world people and characters. You know, I think that that this is one of those where so many things happen that just don't really make a lot of sense that you kind of put a lot of that more serious contemplation of things like that on hold and just go, yeah, it's a guy in a grizzly suit who who knows what he's gonna do you know <laughs> so yeah. it's it's different but i i enjoyed them i thought that both of these were good i also think that i was relatively pleased upon rereading them at how well they fit the tone of the ant-man movies and yeah. how they kind of for somebody who who was just going into the ant-man stuff I think that reading those first two books and then reading these is a decent introduction to the world of Ant-Man that would maybe make watching the movie a little bit more entertaining because you'd have a better grounding in who the characters are going in. Yeah, I mean I mean I would tell you that by by seeing Ant-Man for the first time in like I think it was Civil War, I think is where it was probably the very first time I saw him um originally. And, and like, I had no real idea of who he was or, or anything like that. This was, the, the, this felt like a very nice introduction and, and like going and then watching the first movie. Uh, it was, it, it, I have a lot more appreciation to the character and kind of the, mm-hmm. uh, the sphere of characters that are around, uh, around Scott Lang that, that I had no idea about before this very cool i mean i guess i guess i knew who hank pym was that was that was really the only character but like Mm -hmm. i didn't really up until this point i had no real understanding of like we every ant-man it felt like i'd seen was hank pym and i didn't it's like where did scott lag come from why is he now ant-man and while it's a bit ridiculous how it ended up coming to fruition, it uh, it, it now makes oh. sense to me. Well, and the and the interesting thing is that you know again spoilers on the movies, but the second movie actually Hank Pym becomes a bigger character, and so what we're gonna do before we go into Ant Man Two is we're actually going to read some of the stuff about 
like the trial of um, the trial of of Yellow Jacket and stuff like that, where we actually get to, to see some more of that. So we will have more Hank Pym Ant Man stories coming when we get to looking at the other movies. So sure. we are we are not done with him by any means. All right, where so we we've been intimating where we're going next week here, but Dan, tell us what what's on the docket. We're going this week. to the land of movie theater popcorn. We are heading yes. to the actual Cineplex and going to watch Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania, which comes out this late Wednesday night, Thursday, somewhere in there, depending on where you are and what kind of uh, theater policies they have. So. Yeah, if, uh, if you can, head on out, check out that movie this weekend, and then join us next week for our early kind of review of that and a look at what we think of, of uh, Quantumania in relation to some of these comics. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. I have tickets already for Saturday Saturday morning. Uh, that's so I don't try and fight the crowd Friday night or for any time Friday, right? opening day mm-hmm. but or you know a morning showing on on saturday usually works out pretty well there you go i'm gonna have to i'm still hoping my son uh gets the the free showing a lot of times at the marvel movies they do a a showing for the staff on a, like a sunday morning or something like that and then we just go and do that otherwise i will be fighting the crowds probably and uh getting out whenever i can so Maybe a couple of times. We'll see. Anyway, that is that. All right. And Uh, with that, that's going to wrap it up for this week. We'd like to thank you all for joining us. If you're new to the podcast, please consider subscribing on your podcast player of choice. That way you'll get each new episode as soon as it's released. If you're new to the podcast or if you've been with us from the beginning, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the show, on Ant-Man. Maybe you... Get out to the Sea Quantum Mania as well. Send us your thoughts. You can email us. That address is comments at comicsovertime.com. We're also available on Twitter. That is at comicsovertime. Dan, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Kang again, actually. And uh, they, they intimated in the first movie about the quantum realm. And we mm-hmm. got to see it a little bit. But it, it seems like we're going to see a lot more of it uh, this week, as well as see, seeing a, a a teenage Cassie Lang, which might be important. So we'll see how it goes. It all starts here, I guess. Right, until next week, everybody, take care. Have a great one, folks. We'll see you next week. Bye.